The following message was given by Nick Kidwell, the senior pastor of Valley Creek Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.valleycreek.church. It is so good to be back in the pulpit. Um, Again, so grateful uh, for you as a church and for your care and your support for us as a family uh, after having Goldie with us. Um, Last week, we heard from our friend Nathan Smith from Covenant Fellowship Church. He preached and picked up our mini-series in Matthew, so we're walking through Matthew, the entire book, as a church family. Uh, But we've also been in this mini-series that we've entitled On Mission, which is in chapter 10, where we've seen the Lord commissioning the disciples for the first time to step out and proclaim the gospel to the world. He's enlisted them into bringing the kingdom to bear on this earth. And I will just say, I think I've shared a few times as I've been preaching now, I've been, I used the word wrecked uh, the other day, I've been wrecked by this, these passages and preparing these messages, just feeling a lot of conviction myself. Um, we're going to talk a bit about fear today and realizing I've got a lot of fear in ways that I hold back from sharing the truth. Um, and so I need these. I'm thankful for the whole counsel of God's word as I preach this morning, I'm making God's word known and, and know that it's coming from someone who needs to hear it just as much as the next guy. Um, and I'm thankful for those in this church in particular who um, do just have a spirit of boldness and who do um, really acutely feel that need and make the word of Christ known. And so I'm grateful for you and your example. Well, in this passage, we saw the Lord lay out the call. We saw him give initial instructions. And then last week, again, Nathan walked us through verses 16 to 25, where the Lord warned the disciples of the opposition and the persecution that they would face as they lived a life devoted to Christ and making his name known. And as Nathan shared, the intensity of persecution that the Lord warns them of was not necessarily specific to that immediate mission they were being sent out on right there, but the Lord had a broader perspective in mind, something more broadly applicable, looking into the future that the mission would enhold that would take place following Christ's death and resurrection. Once the full revelation of Jesus Christ, the full understanding of the gospel had come and been made known, the opposition that they would encounter once they were sent out to shine this truth into our darkened and sin-sicked world, would be intense. And it was. Though we don't know for sure, as Scripture doesn't record it, tradition holds that the majority, 11 of the 12 apostles, were martyred for their faith. Some of them hung, some of them beheaded, and some of them even crucified like the Lord. The book of Acts serves... As Nathan again pointed out, as a record of the Lord's statement here in Matthew 10 coming true, we see in the book of Acts believers being flogged and handed over to courts, being forced to testify of the Lord before angry rulers, believers escaping by a thread from angry mobs, believers having to, by the discernment of the Spirit, flee from one town to another at times, and some believers even meeting death at the hands of the Lord's enemies. The first recorded martyr for Christ in the scriptures is a disciple named Stephen. We read in Acts chapter 6 that Stephen was full of grace and power, that he was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And this incited opposition 
from a host of the Jewish religious establishment. They made false accusations against him, that he was blaspheming against Moses and God. They said that he spoke evil against Israel, and they got the scribes and the elders to seize him and bring him before the high Jewish council. And after testifying faithfully of the scriptures and the witness that they bear to Christ and his resurrection, the council, as Acts says, was enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And yet, in the midst of this horrific scene, this adulterated justice, Stephen, we are told, after having faithfully borne witness to Christ and boldly proclaiming the truth to these men, was filled with the Holy Spirit We're told he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And as they were stoning him, he cried out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. It says, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. If this sounds eerily similar to the last breaths of Christ, it's meant to. Luke records it for that reason. Remember, Jesus said in verse 24 of this chapter, Matthew 10, a disciple's not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. In John 15, Jesus declares, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Remember, the world, the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Stephen is following in the footsteps of his Savior, and may I say, he did so faithfully by the grace and power of God. But Stephen does not stand alone. As we said, many of the apostles seem to have met similar fates, and Christians over the ages, if not having died for their faith, have faced malignment, opposition, scorn, marginalization, and so on. Every believer, every believer should in some way Feel the tension of living in light of the kingdom of God in a sin-sick world. There will be some tension we feel. Feel the opposition that comes when a truthful word is spoken. Now, the severity and the extent of opposition will vary, and the presence of real persecution is not always present in the West At least currently, none of us are risking our lives sharing the gospel with a neighbor. However, we do still find ourselves struggling with fear of rejection, of marginalization, of relational discord, or scorn in the face of a call to evangelism. How then do we confront those fears? How does a man like Stephen, who's facing something much worse than a snide or snarky remark, boldly stand for Christ in the face of death and even ask that the Lord forgive those who are about to kill him? That's what our passage this morning seeks to answer. How can we stand firm for the Lord no matter what comes our way? So please, if you haven't already, turn with me now to Matthew chapter 10. Though we are looking specifically today at verses 26 to 33, 
We're going to start reading the last few verses before our section of 24, uh, starting at verse 24. I'm going to pray for us before we read. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given this to us. Thank you that you prick our hearts and our minds and our consciences. Thank you, Lord, that as we walk through your word together, you address all manner of life. You address areas in our hearts. And as we go through your word together, each of us at different times are going to be stirred. And that's because you have given us what we need for holiness and for uh, godliness and to understand and know salvation in Jesus Christ. So I pray this morning as we read your word that you would convict our hearts, that you would comfort our hearts, whatever it is that needs to happen in our hearts this morning, that you would do it through your word. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Matthew 10, 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear, whispered, proclaim on the housetops, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul." Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven." But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. So have no fear of them. The Lord says to Stephen, don't fear these crowds who oppose you. Don't fear the religious institution that seeks to put you to death. Don't fear them when they have darts coming from their tongues and stones in their hands. Have no fear of them. Easier said than done, Lord, we think, right? We are people who are prone to fear. I found a list online on the internet of common fears based on age. Infants eight to nine months old begin to develop fear of the stranger. They're recognizing faces and they don't like ones that they don't know. Toddlers between 10 and two years go into separation anxiety from their parents. They don't want to be left alone. Ages four to six begin to fear whatever their mind can imagine. This is the boogeyman stage and the dark basement and scary dreams Kids seven and older start fearing the weather, getting hurt, harmed by bad people. Preteen and teens have intense social fears, exclusion, rejection, performance in school and sports and so on, and we don't get any better the older that we get. Fear of public speaking, fear of death, fear of financial ruin, fear of spiders, fear of job loss, fear of abandonment. We even fear fear itself. And when it comes to living for the kingdom of God and witnessing to the truth of the gospel, again, we are no less afraid. We may not fear death, but nevertheless, we do fear social rejection. We may fear job loss. That's a reality that is becoming more and more possible. 
We fear relational strife or simply just looking or sounding strange or awkward in front of somebody. Yet the Lord says, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Have no fear of them. The Lord wants us to be much more like Stephen than like pre-resurrection Peter. Peter who was so scared of a little servant girl when she simply said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus, that he denied it to be true and he fled. Jesus commands us not to fear. And our passage gives us ample reason to follow this command. And while this is given specifically in the context of fear of persecution, the truths we look at should strengthen us and guard us from fear and worry across the board. Because what we'll see this morning is that God is in control of all things and will surely save and vindicate his people. God is in control of all things, and he will surely save and vindicate his people. So we're going to look together at four truths we see here that God, that God uses to barricade our hearts from fear. God knows us. God loves us. God saves us. And God vindicates us. So first, God knows us. One of the most natural and common human responses to trial is to assume that God is absent. The scriptures themselves acknowledge this. Many psalms portray the psalmist crying out to God who seems silent. Many scriptures speak of the enemies of God taunting God's people in his seeming absence. Psalm 42 captures both of these things. It says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so Pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? The psalmist sits in the seeming darkness, waiting for a word. A glimmer of the presence of God. All the while his enemies taunt him, seeing the present moment as evidence of the non-existence or at the very least apathy of this so-called God. Christ Jesus himself encountered such taunts in fulfillment of Psalm 22. Psalm 22 reads, all who seek me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. They said of the Lord, they said this of the Lord, Matthew 27 reads, so also the chief priests with scribes and elders mocked him, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. To the onlookers, both true child of God or not, it seemed as if in that moment as Christ hung on the cross that God was nowhere to be found. And while it's true in that moment, God forsook Christ Jesus for our sake There was an experience of God veiling himself for his divine purposes. God was not absent. In the face of persecution, Matthew reminds in our passage this morning, verse 26, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed 
or hidden that will not be known. This applies to the good and the bad that takes place. The Lord sees and knows every good and bad thing that comes to pass on this earth. Nothing transpires that is outside of God's knowledge and providence. This is reiterated in verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are numbered. The lot is cast in the lap, says Psalm 16. But it's every decision is from the Lord. Nothing takes place without the Lord's good and sovereign will having actively allowed it to pass. This is a mystery to be sure. It raises questions, yes, and and actually in a few weeks Jeff is going to dive into this glorious mystery with us, but the reality is God knows and God sees. He knows the very numbers of the hairs on your head. He knows how many atoms make up the universe. He knows the beginning from the end. And here's the thing. We want God to know all of these things. Writing God off because we see evil take place in this world not only eliminates our ability to claim that anything is evil, for God is required to have to have any real moral standards exist in this universe. God is the standard of right and wrong. But writing God off also removes any hope we have of there being any real meaning or purpose for anything that happens or any hope we can have that God will make it right. We would not want a God where anything is outside of his control. Things as small as a leaf blowing on the ground to dice being rolled to wars being waged cannot come to pass if the Lord himself does not permit it to be. Job says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Lamentation says, who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Now again, this raises questions we don't have time to dive into today, but because of our sin, evil is a part of this world, and yet still the Lord has complete control over it all. This does not mean the Lord himself works evil by hand, but the Lord in his divine purposes uses the evil that we intend to work out his sovereign good will. This is true even of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I remember hearing a line in a play once where an arrogant attorney says, let's put it this way, if Jesus had me as a lawyer, things would have turned out differently. No. (laughs) Hear this from Acts 4. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God is not blind. God is never absent God knows each and every one of us. He knows each and everything that we will go through. There's nothing that is happening to you or that will happen to you that will surprise God or catch him off of guard. If illness befalls, if jobs are lost, if enemies arise, 
If you're troubled by moral decline in society or the marginalization of Christianity, do not panic as if somehow God didn't know these things. Don't fret thinking God does not see and rather than evil causing us to wag our fists at God to question Him or to run from Him, it should cause us to run to Him. Because if, if we've placed our faith and our trust in Him through His Son, Jesus Christ, then we know that each and everything that happens is in His control and is being used for our good. He promises this to us. It's mystery, it's hard to accept at times, but it's true. God's seeing and knowing wouldn't be a comfort unless it were true, unless it were true that God is good, which he is, and that God loves, which he does. So so that first barrier for our hearts is that God knows He knows what's going on, but that wouldn't be a comfort unless we had the second one, which is that God loves us. The Lord uses the sparrows to emphasize the reality of his care. If God sees and cares about these little birds who in the eyes of humanity are worthless, two were sold for a penny, how much more does he care for you, you who have been made in the image of God, you who his son died for on the cross? Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. The presence of trial and difficulty is not an indicator of God's lack of love for us. If that were true, then we would have to say that the Father does not love the Son, which is absurd. For who has suffered more than Jesus Christ, who willingly laid down his life for the sins of the world in accordance with the will of the Father? Jesus is the most precious thing that has ever existed. He's a member of the Trinity, one with God, and he is the Father's eternal delight. The Father declares, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased Jesus says in the high priestly prayer of John 17, Father, I desire that they also, that's us, he's asking for us, that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. He's praying this before he knows he's going to the cross. God did not spare his own son, this son that he loved so much, but gave him up for our sake. And scripture says, how then will he not also give us graciously all things? Just as God delights in Christ, God delights also in us. Psalm 19, he brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Psalm 149, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Psalm 43, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. These promises apply to us if we have trusted in Christ Jesus as our Savior. 
1 John 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. Christian, you are a child of God, and He loves you. Think of how much love you have for your child, and that's our sinful hearts being able to do that. God has love beyond anything we can imagine for you. And if you doubt it, look to Christ. Though Christ deserved nothing but blessing in His perfect holiness and majesty, He willingly endured the wrath of God on our behalf. Though we do not deserve anything good from God because of our sin and our rebellion, we deserve nothing but His wrath. But because of Christ, we experience mercies new each morning and await an eternity of unending blessing and peace. Christ Jesus displays God's love for us, and He proves that we have nothing to fear. But the reality is there are times where it feels easier than others to believe that. We lose loved ones. We face job loss. Prayers seem to go unanswered. We face persecution or even the sword. There have been many times in my life that have been easier than others to believe God's love or to feel it. I can remember some very dark nights of the soul, unable to sleep because of deep anxiety and panic, crying out to God and wondering why He wouldn't just take it away, waiting for God to do something, anything, but being met with what felt like silence. It can seem dark in times like that. And then at times, it can be easier to feel and accept God's love. God gives us a breakthrough. God answers a prayer. God reveals himself in some unexpected way, reminding us of his presence. I've had these times too. One time, I was stuck in a similar bout of anxiety in college. I was quite low, and I felt the end of my rope. And I sat eating my lunch. I was journaling just before I was about to go to work in the Starbucks in our student union, and I prayed, God, please help me to know today that you see me, that you know me, and that you love me. So I go up to work. I'm standing there filling the pastry case when an acquaintance that I know, only really in passing from Campus Crusade, walks up to me and she says, Nick, I was just sitting and praying, and I felt like the Lord told me to come up to you and say to you that he sees you, he knows you, and he loves you. <laughs> I'm standing there holding pastries, and I'm like, what? <laughs> I thanked her, and she walked away. She had no idea how the Lord had just used her. I would tell her later, but I was very aware in that moment of God's presence and his love for me. Now, God is the same God in both situations. The times when I feel like he's with me and the times when I feel like he's not. My emotions don't dictate the truth. God's love for me never stops. His love for you never stops. And how do I know that? Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was a gracious thing of God to send a friend to speak that word, but he didn't have to do that. He has nothing further to prove to me. 
We don't know why God allows all to pass that he does. But we trust that he's working all things together for our good. He knows best. Yes, we pray that evil be restrained. Yes, we hope that our witness goes forth unhindered. We don't desire persecution or calamity to befall. But when it does, we look to Christ. And in Christ Jesus, we know our God sees, our God knows, and our God cares. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. He loves you. You can face anything when you know that the Lord Loves you. But again, his knowledge and his love wouldn't necessarily be much help if he couldn't also save. So he knows, he loves, and he saves. The third thing we look at God saves. We spoke earlier that the Lord called us not to fear, but the reality is, he doesn't call us not to fear anything. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Our problem is not that we fear, but that we fear the wrong things in the wrong way. Christ was aware that the disciples would be tempted to shrink back from their proclamation of the gospel, which is why he says, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Do not hold back, he says. Do not be afraid. The things I've shared, proclaim them boldly and confidently. But I am afraid, we say. What if I'm rejected? What if they don't like me? What if, what if, what if I die? And the Lord says, hope in me. When we fear rejection, when we fear financial ruin, when we fear physical ailment, when we fear death itself, especially at the hand of an enemy in persecution, we are revealing that our confidence is placed in something other than God. I'm not saying, nor is the Lord, that we shouldn't think it will be uncomfortable or that we shouldn't have trepidation or, or even a type of fear, one that says, this isn't going to be enjoyable, I don't like that this is happening. The Lord himself asked the Father that if there be any other way outside of the cross, that it be so, as he prayed and wept and dropped tears of blood. Nevertheless, though, Christ says, your will be done. When the Lord calls us not to fear, he's saying, do not fear in a despairing, joy-killing, hope-squashing kind, obedience-stifling kind of way. Don't fear in such a way that your focus shifts from the Lord to the trial. Don't fear in such a way that you alter your obedience to the Lord to try and preserve yourself. The Lord is the one who will preserve. The Lord is the one who will save. In Isaiah 43, which we quoted earlier, the Lord says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. The Lord does not guarantee that we won't meet hardships in this life. In fact, he does guarantee that we will. But what he does guarantee is that the worst thing that could happen to us 
eternal separation from God, punishment for our sins and evil, the worst thing, having our bodies and soul cast into eternal destruction. This isn't annihilation. This is unending experience of separation from all that is good and right and true. That is the worst thing that could have happened to you. But because of what Christ Jesus has done, if you acknowledge him on this earth, if you claim him as your savior, then he will acknowledge you in heaven before God, justifying you through his blood that you may eternally be with him forever that he will eternally dote on you and delight in you like a joyful parent delighting in their child. I'm reminded of this afresh, looking at the face of a newborn and the emotions that are stirred. God looks at us in that way, forever giving himself to you, which is the greatest thing we could ever have, that we might for eternity bring glory to his name for our good. When we realize this, when we realize that that we live now through the power of Christ Jesus and that when we die, we gain because to die means we get to be at home in the presence of our Savior. When we get that, then we can say with Psalm 118, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? When we realize this, we can delight in the words of Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. For I consider, Paul says in Romans, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There are sufferings. We acknowledge that. We don't deny that. The Lord doesn't want us to deny that or act somehow. We, we recognize sin in this world. There is suffering. There can be martyrdom. There can be rejection. There can be embarrassment. There can be political persecution. There can be setbacks and losses. But all of them, all of them are not worth comparing to the joy that's laid before us in eternity with our God. They're light and momentary afflictions. They say you can do anything for a minute. You can do anything for a hundred years. <laughs> and then... Eternity with God. Jesus has won. We are all in these things more than conquerors. No one can ever, ever separate you from the love of Christ. Ever. Jesus saves. He wins. There is no question. So if you look a little silly right now, who cares? <laughs> We should not shrink back from proclaiming on the rooftops the good news of our Lord because he has and he will save us in the only way that truly and really matters.
This is the greatest fear killer. When we realize we have salvation and that that salvation is our greatest need. And the wonderful thing is, when we fear the right thing, punishment for our sin, eternal separation from God, the wrath of God, then we experience freedom from fear in Christ. Freedom from fear casts freedom from fear of others, freedom from fear of situations, and freedom from fear of eternal damnation and destruction. Perfect love casts out fear. We respect the Lord, yes, but we no longer fear death and condemnation because of what he's done. We experience grace. And the final thing that we see here is that the Lord will vindicate. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. In this life, As we live for Christ, we will have wrong done to us. And sadly, we will do wrong to others as well. But in that wrong, when we face persecution or rejection or scorn, we can look to Christ and let it go. Because the Lord is ultimately the one who will make all things right in the end. Doesn't mean there's not a place for justice or to pursue justice. But in our spirits, we can release those things. The beauty of the cross of Jesus Christ is that it is ultimately just. No sin, no murder, no theft, no lie, no careless word will go unaccounted for in this life. We hate when justice is corrupted. Justice eternally will not be corrupted. It will be done. Either we will pay for it in the end eternally Or Christ as our mediator will have paid for it on the cross. So when someone mocks you or rejects you or or even does you physical harm, you don't have to take up arms and feel this intense need to retaliate. You don't have to get defensive. You can with Stephen entrust the situation to the Lord's hand, praying that the Lord grant mercy on those who do you wrong, knowing that if he does, justice will be done because Christ will pay for their sins. And if he doesn't, justice will be done as well. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. And any wicked deed done in this world will be exposed. The Lord knows them all and he will deal with all of them. And so we can confidently serve the Lord Come what may, knowing that all things are in his hands. He will execute justice and he will work together all things for good. Now, if you're here and you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we are so glad you are here. I'm so glad you get to hear the word of the Lord today. This is truth. I pray you can receive it, but... I would not be loving you if I didn't tell you that you currently stand as an enemy of God. There's no in-between. We all stand as enemies of God before we repent of our sins and ask for forgiveness. And if you persist in unbelief and unrepentance, then as the Lord says in verse 33, but whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven." If we deny the Lord on this earth, then we will persist in eternity separated from God and all that's good. But if we believe with our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. 
Stephen had some harsh words for those he spoke to. He said, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you've now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep. Stephen spoke a hard truth, and it got him killed. He didn't do it out of hate. Remember, in just a moment, he would ask the Lord to extend mercy and forgiveness to these people. But he did it because he longed that all the world would be saved. That these stiff-necked people would be pricked in conscience and experience the mercy and grace of Christ just as he had. I've had moments in my life where I'm so grateful someone said a confident word to me. I needed to hear it. Church, we go out and we share the gospel, an offensive message that uncovers the darkness in our hearts and proclaims our need of a Savior. We get uncomfortable speaking about it because of what it means, but we do it winsomely. We often won't speak with the same intensity Stephen did. We don't want to go around just throwing daggers though at times it might serve in a situation to be very, very frank and bold and confident. But no matter what we do, we always speak the truth. And we do so knowing that God knows us, He loves us, He saves us, and He will vindicate us. If we meditate on these things, we will have the strength to take up the call to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and teaching them all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. We have Jesus with us in this mission. And we have these truths safeguarding our hearts. Again, I'm very convicted preaching this message. Now, working on this message this week, I need many of these truths to sink into my heart. How often do I fear looking silly. Eternity is at stake. And joy is on the table for each individual that we encounter. Let's believe that. We shout from the rooftops the good news of Jesus Christ, entrusting to him all that may befall, eagerly expecting his kingdom to advance for his glory and the good of those who will experience it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. I just this week feel very thankful for your word and the fact that you use it to um, speak to our hearts, that you use it to convict us, you use it to remind us of truth, Lord, and we just ask that we would cling to these truths, that you see everything, that you know everything, that you love us. That no matter what comes our way, you are working it out for our salvation. And Lord, that we can entrust all things to your hands because you will met out perfect justice in the end. And Lord, we ask that as you work this in our hearts, that we would know and believe these things, that many, many people would hear of the grace that is theirs in Jesus Christ. Father, we confess, I confess of the times we remain silent and blood is on our hands because we're afraid. 
We're afraid of something other than you. We're afraid of what might happen or what someone might say or, Father, help us to follow your command to not fear. Help us to fear you in the way that produces obedience. Help us to honor you with our words and our actions. I pray even this morning that some of us as we go from this building that we would have opportunities that we step into where we share this news with another person, where we ask a question, where we, we make known the coming of the great Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to believe that Jesus really does solve all the world's problems. We thank you, Lord, for meeting us today. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Nick Kidwell, given at Valley Creek Church. For more information on the church and other messages, please visit us online at www.valleycreek.church.